Welcome to Foresight with me, Greg Williams. As artificial intelligence becomes embedded in the lives of people and business, the UK finds itself at a pivotal moment. The AI pioneer and investor Kai-Fu Lee has said that there's no bronze medal for artificial intelligence. And what he means by that is that a general purpose technology can offer enormous benefits in a wide variety of fields that offer significant competitive advantage. Governments in the US and China are investing vast amounts in R&D and prioritising AI in their national budgets, and their private companies lead the way when it comes to turning research into products. So what's the UK doing to ensure the adoption of AI and data technologies across the economy for the better of society? In today's session, we'll explore the UK's national AI strategy and how it will offer huge benefits to the economy, to recovery and resilience, to the environment and for people across the country. Our guest today is Sana Karagani. Sana is the head of the UK government's Office for Artificial Intelligence and has over 20 years experience in technology and business across the private and public sectors. The Office for AI is putting in place the foundations around skills, access to data, international cooperation and leadership to underpin the adoption of artificial intelligence and data technologies across the economy for the betterment of society. Before we start the conversation, I've got one request. If you're enjoying this podcast series, please do go on whatever platform you get your podcast on and give us a five-star review as it really does help us to grow the wired community. Many thanks. It's much appreciated. Sana, welcome. Great to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Greg. It's really good to be here with you today. Well, it's such a great uh, time to already be talking with you because obviously the UK government released its uh, AI roadmap just last month. Um, so I'd love to start by you giving us a, an overview of that roadmap and explaining maybe how it came about and, and what the main recommendations are. Sure, of course. Um, I think probably just to, to pause there for an instant and say that the actual, the roadmap is actually, um, was released by the UK's AI Council. Um, these are a bunch of leading scientists, researchers, and entrepreneurs that advise government. Um, and they wanted to come together and address the issues about how AI is going to impact society um, and, and um, really find ways to ensure that we as the government are able to deliver the great breakthroughs that these technologies have the potential to deliver and really provide the government with a set of options or a roadmap, if you will, um, on how we would go about delivering those. So that is now, that is the AI Council's roadmap that they have delivered to government and we are currently in the process of reviewing their these strategies um, that they have set. Now, um, I think it's a, it's a really good, great piece of work for people who haven't read it. Please do go and find it. It's online. Um, there are two main recommendations in there. One is for government to double down on existing investment that we have made following the 2017 AI review and the near billion pound AI sector deal. And the second is to really ensure that support for AI reflects the rapid pace of disruption um, that these technologies provide. So this really means, um, and it's really getting at integrating approaches to ethics, security, social impact um, alongside the science and planning, not just for the short term, but for the next 10 to 50 years. I know that one of the key recommendations is around uh, research, development and innovation. And I just wonder how the first two parts of that play into the third. 
Um, I mean, funding into research and development really leads to innovation. It's not 100% of the time this way, of course, um, but it's a pretty good bet. Um, researchers like time to consider crunchy problems and different ways to address these problems, so different approaches, et cetera, et cetera. And when they make a discovery and this discovery becomes, say, a product, um, well, we refer to, a, to that as kind of innovation. Um, and in terms of AI technologies, deep learning has been um, used to solve some really huge challenges. So recently, one um, a 50-year-old biology problem like uh, protein folding, for example, that was solved by DeepMind's AlphaFold. I mean, I'm not a, a, a biologist, but even I can uh, say that this is truly an incredible achievement whereby using artificial intelligence, we're able to provide the answer, um, which used to take many months of detailed scientific research and application. Now we can do something like that within minutes. Um, or natural language processing. Um, I don't know about others, but we definitely have at least one of those sitting around our house. Um, and it's becoming so good that it can understand, you know, a three-year-old's uh, ability to speak to it. And we're using it for kind of we're getting so accustomed to using these things that we're using it for everyday purposes, right? And these are the kind of um, R&D that has led to uh, these kinds of innovations that are really changing our life at every level. But I, I think just one, one other thing to add here is that research and development and innovation are really areas that um, the UK excels in and, and has, a, has a legacy in. Um, we boast, for example, the highest number of top-rated centers for AI research of any nation. So if you start from Southampton University to Queen's Mary University of London, and then University of Sheffield, Edinburgh University, just to name a few, um, our academics have published more than 1,100 AI papers in top journals in the last two years, not that we're counting, but this beats Australia at 752, Singapore at 468, and, and Germany at 276. Um, there is a real legacy in the UK that we uh, in research development and innovation that we want to continue building on. So I should remind uh, viewers that while well, I published a uh, story on AlphaFold and uh, the uh, DeepMind attempts to, to crack protein folding about, about a year ago. So if uh, anyone's interested in that, they can go back and uh, take a, a look at that. Um, so moving on for the, uh, from the R&D question, obviously, you know, R&D takes resources and, and public finances are stretched. There are so many demands on the Treasury today. How best to make the case for investment in scaling up uh, investment in AI? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is why I think it's more than more important today than ever to make sure that every penny, any every penny that um, is being spent of public funds is is counting and is addressing challenges. For example, to free our doctors, nurses, clinicians of the burden of routine and mundane tasks and really free them up so that they can spend the majority of their time treating patients. So if we take a couple of examples here, the NHS's AI Labs AI Awards, they, they're aiming to really speed up the testing and evaluation of the most promising AI technologies in health. These range from prevention and diagnosis to treatment and system efficiency. We're currently seeing some great and practical uses of AI technologies these range from changing traffic lights in favor of ambulances in Liverpool um, to the design in days rather than weeks of personalized spinal splints for children with disabilities. These are both 
examples of small UK digital healthcare companies that are seeking to use technology for good in healthcare. And the money that's been put in by government into these AI awards is allowing companies like this to actually go out and 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 use these technologies to solve you know real challenges. And of course, adopting AI technologies across the economy, of course, where it makes sense, because this isn't magic dust, right? You can't just add it anywhere, but where it makes sense, um, it doesn't just go to solving kind of challenging problems or providing better services, but it also makes companies more productive and more competitive, right? A report by Microsoft in 2019, which feels like, you know, 20 years ago rather than two, um, showed that organizations are already using AI. Um, the ones that are using AI are outperforming the ones that aren't by over 11%. Um, and, and, you know, I think there is a lot of room here and that that is important for us to think about when, when we think about how public funds are spent. Uh, another pillar of the roadmap is diversity and inclusion. Um, computer science and AI research really is an area that is lacking in diversity. Uh, how best can we, we we address that? Look, I mean, uh, nothing comes closer to my heart than this question. I think the, that these are um, issues that we need to address in immediately. And I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening um, has heard this a thousand times before about how we feel that we can go about solving the world's challenges or even um, identifying or understanding the world's challenges if the people doing the hard lifting behind the scene don't represent the world, right? So um, in 2018, for example, um, only 18% of computer science graduates in the UK were female, right? Um, there's a serious gender diversity crisis in AI. So it, it, research shows that only 13.8% of authors are women, um, compared to 15.5% for STEM subjects. And this number is decreasing over the last 10 years. And the stats on ethnic minorities isn't much better, right? So there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. Um, we, we have started doing some stuff, but definitely a lot more needs to be done um, and it needs to be done across the ecosystem. So the government is one portion of this ecosystem and we will do what we can. Um, but actually, this is a kind of call to action for everyone. But just to give you an example, last autumn, uh, the UK government delivered funding for 18 universities from across England to support the development of new AI and data science conversion courses. So this means that people with non-STEM backgrounds um, could register to take these AI courses, which is hugely important because AI technologies really require an interdisciplinary approach. So opening that up that way means that um, not only are we allowing people with different backgrounds in, but it also means that people who weren't from a traditional STEM background, it, it allows a more diverse group of people to apply. Um, the courses we funded are expected to create about 2,500 graduates. And the funding that we provided also includes 10 million pounds of scholarships for underrepresented communities. Um, so far, the recruitment figures for the first student intake that was in autumn, so this is right in the middle of the pandemic, really, um, indicate that even the this uh, this small kind of pull of the lever has made an impact, right? So 22% of the total student intake were awarded, awarded scholarships. Of these, 76% 
were women, nearly half were black students, and almost a quarter were disabled students. Um, and this is just the start. And as I said, I'm, this really is my call to action for everyone who's listening. Um, this is something we all need to kind of lean into and, and fix together. And clearly, talent in this area in computer science and artificial intelligence really does operate as part of a global marketplace. And with universities are now shut out of EU-wide research projects. So how can the UK compete for the best and the brightest in these, these crucial fields? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Look, I think um, this, this has been the same question we've asked ourselves all along. So yes, there is a change um, in terms of... Uh, of the atmosphere and where we are today, but actually the question is the same. Um, we continue to want the UK to become an even more attractive place um, for international researchers to come, but not only to come, but to study here and then to, to stay here, right, with their families. Um, we have a couple of different uh, areas of focus that we have put in in terms of government and we put funding into. So one of them is called the Turing AI Fellowships. This is backed by hundred million pounds of government funding to help attract and retain top talent in the UK. Um, but again, this is an area we can go further in. Um, so far, we've announced the first five fellows during phase one. These fellows are pioneering unique and exciting areas of research in AI. They're addressing challenges of building more sustainable, like they're, they're addressing challenges across the board. So from building more sustainable um, aviation industry to democratizing uh, safe and robust AI. Right? And in, in November, we announced phase two um, and awarded 15 accelerated AI fellowships. So these are about kind of accelerating the careers of the best and the brightest and enabling them to become world leading AI researchers. So there's a little bit about bringing the people who are already there. There's a little bit about nurturing the ones on their way. Um, and phase three, we'll be awarding the, the world leading AI researchers. So this it really is about attracting and retaining the creme de la creme, the people who will come here and create the centers of excellence, who will build the new capability um, and, and create the strategic capacity that we need um, in important AI research areas, right? Um, because it's not enough to say fund just PhDs, which we also have done via the 16 centers of doctoral training or to put more, um, more uh, people into master's programs, such as the industrial funded master's program that we also have created. But if we don't have the capacity at the top level to take on PhDs and to create these centers, um, we, we really can't bring more people. So we're really working on this kind of in a systematic way to make sure that um, the UK remains um, building on that legacy of research and innovation that we talked about earlier. Sure. Yeah. You, you mentioned research and obviously the third pillar of the report is data, uh, infrastructure uh, and public trust. Um, how do you think the UK can best offer access to data for AI researchers while also ensuring that, you know, this is done safely and, and ethically? Yeah, well, I mean, the pandemic, if nothing else, has really shown us that there is a ma massive untapped potential in the way that government and public services use and share data to help protect people. Right. Um, we're, we are taking a hard look at our own approach and we want to drive improvements um, across the entire um, kind of 
line of how we use data and how we share data. And to succeed, we really need a whole government approach um, to drive the value and the insights um, and to create an appropriately, as you said, you know, safeguarded and joined up and interoperable data infrastructure to support all of this. Um, also, and I think it, it, it goes without saying that we also in the, in the government need the right set of skills and leadership um, to be able to unlock this potential. So um, the national data strategy, which will be released later this year, the consultation is just recently closed. The first mission within that is to create, an, to create this environment where data is appropriately usable, accessible, and available. We, we really want to make sure that the right conditions and incentives are in place to encourage our organizations not only to work together across the economy, but to ensure the appropriate and timely access to data um, to make sure that you know, these technologies um, are continuing to, you know, the, the research under them is continuing and it's aiding the, the innovation that's under these so that they have the, the access to data that they need. Yeah, as you say, like trust is going to be crucial in this process. And uh, what advice do you does government have for organisations to ensure that they're using uh, AI in an ethical way? I mean, this there's work and thinking to be done here, right? So um, it's it's important that ethics and responsibility are considered from the very beginning, right? Um, even well before you know you start designing or or even for uh, like at, in any way starting to implement um, any kind of AI technology, poorly designed, and I don't need to say this, but you know just some examples of poorly designed AI systems can lead to all sorts of unintended consequences and problems, right? So unjustifiable outcomes, biased discriminatory outcomes, invasion of privacy, disintegration of social connections. I mean, all sorts of really things that you, you wouldn't want by, but by putting into place these things. Um, we've done work around this topic to help organizations. So we co-published guidance with the Alan Turing Institute um, on the responsible design and implementation of AI systems. Um, it identifies potential harms caused by AI systems and proposes concrete measures to counteract them. Our aim and our hope um, in writing this guide is to really encourage civil servants interested in conducting AI projects to make considerations of AI ethics and safety their first priority. Um, we also have an organization called the Center for Data Ethics and, um, and Innovation. They published a review recently into bias and algorithmic decision-making. That is also being, that's advice that's being considered by government. Um, and finally, Turing and ICO. So you can see there's lots of stuff that's happening in the ecosystem. They've created, or they co-published um, a, a paper called Explaining Decisions Made by AI. Um, this is a set of guidance that provides organizations with practical advice to help explain the processes, services, and decisions that are delivered or assisted by AI to the individuals that are affected by them. So, yes, this is a, there's a start, but as I said, I mean, this is one of those things that definitely requires more thinking and, and more doing. And clearly, there's thinking going on you know, throughout the world on this, and we are, you know, new global Britain. How how do you think the UK can best influence, you know, governance standards, frameworks in in AI globally? When clearly it offers enormous competitive advantage for whichever yeah. kind of country gets there first. Yeah, I mean, um, this is definitely something that we think about a lot. 
right? Um, but I, I'm a firm, firm believer that um, these are challenges that and technology um, technologies that can be best used through collaboration and cooperation. So we um, in the UK, we're founding members of an organization called the Global Partnership on AI. Um, the, the jury's still out whether we refer to it as GPAY or GPI but um, I'll leave that to you. Um, this is the first intergovernmental initiative that um, has a permanent focus on cooperation for AI's governance and, and development. There's currently 18 countries and the EU as members, and this membership is growing, and we are looking to um, include more of the global South. At the moment, the, the membership is representative about, or includes about 32% of the population of the world. Um, so we're getting there. Um, and the, the whole point of AI, uh, of GPAY, is to leverage international co cooperation and key on key research and applied projects that are focused um, on ensuring AI technologies are not only human-centered by design, but that they foster public trust in their use, right? So we're collaborating on with international partners and pooling our expertise um, and advances in AI to reflect our shared values and to apply these technologies to solve the world's greatest challenges that are set out by the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. Um, this really is a forum for bringing the best minds of the world together um, and to co cooperate and to collaborate because these global challenges aren't affecting just individual countries, right? They are affecting all of us. Um, and it's by bringing the scientists together either to solve, uh, you know, problems like the pandemic, um, which is a really good demonstration of what cooperation amongst our science community can do very quickly, um, or problems such as climate change or world hunger and things like that, which, um, you know, it's it's really important for us to find solutions to and working together is the way that that gets unlocked. Well, the final pillar of the report is national cross-sector uh, adoption. And there'll be a lot of people out there watching, I'm sure, who, who run businesses. They're interested in experimenting uh, and implementing AI you know, in their organisation, but they might not know how to start. Can policy help with that, do you think? So yes, um, in some cases, we've done a huge number of studies on kind of what are these barriers that stand in the way of adoption. Um, and they range from uncertainty on returns to, of investment in, in technologies, in, in AI technologies, especially because there's a, there's a big uh, kind of push to put money in upfront to, to do some of this work. There is some shortages in foundational resources like um, access to skills, access to data, investment, infrastructure to support, such as compute, et cetera. Culture obviously plays a role. Um, yeah. Aversion to change plays a role. There's, you know, your traditional kind of um, barriers to doing any kind of tra technology transformation. And then you've got the added ones from AI. So some of these barriers lend themselves better to policy interventions than others. Um, as you said in the beginning, in the introduction, um, you know, over the last two years, the Office for AI has really been looking at the, the kind of enablers and making sure that access to skills, data and infrastructure exist um, to allow some of this work to happen. Um, and that's why, you know, the, the council in their advice to government in the roadmap have really been saying to double down on some of these to make sure that this work continues. They've also said that now is the time to kind of provide some specific attention to um, 
you know, certain industries such as climate or um, health going forward. Um, and there's definitely room for government to use its convening power, if not directly specific policy related power um, to focus attention and drive and some solving certain things like net zero using these technologies. Keeping it, I'm keeping an eye on the Q&A here. We have a lot of questions coming in from uh, people watching, a lot of great questions, I have to say. Uh, a lot of focus on, you know, concern about the impact of the automation could have, have on jobs. Um, how do you see the role of government on that? How can government educate people about maybe the positive impact of, of AI and the kind of jobs that are going to be uh, uh, available in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important here to um, make sure that the government has, or sorry, that that society has access to the right information um, and that they understand kind of what this technology can do and what it can't do. So the AI Council, for example, um, has a um, uh, an, an entire section that is looking at uh, fostering public trust through narratives, making sure that the words that are being used um, don't give off the wrong sets of information. There are also policies that we put into place to help uh, retrain um, and early uh, results that we're seeing from these are showing that um, some really, really positive results. And phase two of some of these programs include um, artificial intelligence and, and and kind of introducing people to so some of these technologies, etc. So I think you know a big part of this question um, is making sure that the public is is well informed um, and understands kind of where these technologies are today uh, versus the utopic or sometimes very dystopic view that um, is offered. Lots of questions coming in from uh, people watching. I, I, I think we've got time for a, a couple, Sana, if, if you're able. Um, one coming in from uh, Tanya, which uh, really asks about the uh, the government. Sorry, you mentioned that you're currently reviewing the set of recommendations in the AI roadmap. Uh, when is that review due to finish, and, and what's the step after that? What can we expect going forward? Uh, so, so the. Government is what what the council has done is basically looked at what is required and given a a list of recommendations. There's 16 of them, um, and it, what the government is doing now is looking at where we sit and also what's happening in the broader ecosystem of government um, in terms of the the strategies and and what what's happening. And we're we're trying to put that all together and and come up with a uh, a measured response to the council's points, which are um, uh, very well received. So yeah, well, I, I think all I can say right now is watch the space. We will be coming back coming out soon with with more information on this. Great. We'll look forward to that. One, one final uh, question, please, Sana. It's, it's a really around algorithmic opacity, really, and um, you know, ensuring that you know we're able to understand why decisions are made uh, using AI. Uh, is, is, will there be any measures the UK government will be taking in order to guarantee that consumers know how and why a decision was made? I mean, this is a, a an incredibly important part of work, and and as I mentioned, the Center for Data Ethics has been doing work. So there is um, an AI barometer that that they've uh, come out with, which talks about kind of the challenges and opportunities that AI produces in various industries. They have come up with um, a, an um, an bias in algorithms paper that analyzes kind of 
how we should be thinking about bias and how it manifests itself. But more prominently than that, you know, how algorithms are used, why they're used, and and in in what capacity they're used. These are all questions that we take very very seriously, right? Um, there has been um, there have been other papers with advice to government uh, looking at, for example, when uh, if government is were to use these technologies, what what is the what is a human's role and and how does a human play um, into into um, the kind of process? So we're we're quite far away from a place where we would uh, readily deploy one of these technologies in a place where um, a decision that um, might affect society adversely um, would be made with without a human in the loop. Um, you know. It, it, I, I would rather, for example, give you an example um, of where these technologies are being used to help uh, relieve some of the stress that um, that some work creates. So, for example, um, the land registry is using uh, intelligent document comparison, so using AI to compare documents to each other with 100% uh, accuracy. This saves weeks of time for um, our caseworkers' workflow, and it, it seamlessly integrates into the solution that that caseworkers are using. And it takes away this mundane task that they previously had, which was comparing a document that was created with what exists in a land registry, almost line by line, to make sure these things are equal, right? And and at the moment, an AI system is being used to do that comparison, um, and it's it's reducing the risk of indemnity claims. It's um, you know it's improving quality, efficiency, significant time and cost savings. These are the kinds of things I think. Um, which is more important at the moment where this, these technologies are being used, um, whilst we think much more deeply about the, the, the places that are of worry, that where you know, we need to be thinking much more uh, carefully, thoughtfully about um, how to keep humans in the centre of decision-making where they really matter. That's, I think, a great point to end on, keeping humans at the centre of decision-making. Sana, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating uh, talking with you, and, and, and we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to share your insights. We look forward to hearing about uh, next steps as well. Uh, and thank you all for joining us today. If you enjoyed the session, uh, please please do check out the rest of the Wired Foresight series, which includes discussions with Rana Faruha on how to make big tech accountable, Shopify's head of EMEA, uh, Shimona Mehta on the future of Detail and the future of the AI ecosystem with Kate, Kate Callow. Thank you all and stay safe. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks, Anna. Bye.